Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Grounded with Pastor Matt Round. In this episode, we will be answering the question, should a Christian celebrate Christmas, and how should they celebrate it? Here to answer that question is Pastor Matt Round. Hi, Pastor Matt. Hey, Noah. Good to see you again. So uh, this is a little bit of a different kind of topic. It's a little bit seasonal, and we're only a little bit late, but, you know, with schedules and sicknesses and everything that comes with the holiday. This is when we get to it. So it's a fun January reminder of what we just went through in December. And um, there is, you know, every year you see uh, memes or postings or social media or articles come out that question whether Christians should celebrate Christmas at all. And there's all kinds of pushback against it. And I think people some of them genuinely not wanting to do something rebellious or kind of uh, either taken off guard because it kind of attacks a, a, a central part of our yearly calendar that um, we all look forward to and anticipate. And uh, so some people genuinely don't want to do something if it's dishonoring to God. Some people uh, get a little bit angry about having their traditions attacked. Some people uh, really don't have any idea of how to respond to that or whether they should respond to it. So because it did come up in my social media feed, because I was asked by a couple of people, um, and because I think uh, if most of us were challenged on this, maybe we wouldn't know how to start an answer in general. I figured it might be fun to kind of go through this a little bit. So uh, should Christians celebrate Christmas? Um, and we'll work through some of the kind of pushbacks against it. Why shouldn't Christians celebrate Christmas? And uh, a lot of them have to do with the idea that, well, Christmas is uh, a Christianization of pagan festivals. So there were these pagan, uh, idolatrous, evil practices going on. And as Christianity spread, um, in an effort to kind of reclaim some of those days, they took pagan feast days or holidays and they Christianized them. They gave them Christian meaning. So they changed that and it made it easier not only to, to win people to Christianity, but it helped with culturally integrating Christianity into the society as a whole. Um, and you get kind of all these different individual supposed examples of that. Some of them are associated with Egyptian gods like Horus. Um, uh, there are a number of people who bride, bring up, and again, any number of years you could find these in Facebook postings or what have you. And they say, well, Horus was born on December 25th. Uh, he was born of a virgin. It's said that he died and raised again. Um, and so you can see, I mean, obviously Jesus is just kind of this rebirth of Horus, just kind of a, a old mythology wrapped in new packaging. Um, the reality is that that's absolutely completely historically unfounded. There's no reference to a Horus ever being resurrected three days later. His mother was the goddess Isis. He wasn't born of a virgin. Uh, there's no date mentioned anywhere for his birth. And if you really kind of dig into this, a lot of it comes from uh, a man named Gerald Massey, a self-taught Egyptologist um, who never bothered to provide one shred of evidence for his claims and was uh, soundly rejected by his academic contemporaries. But if something is out there long enough, it finds its way into our social media structure. So 
that one really doesn't hold any weight. Uh, another kind of pushback is that, well, it's not an Egyptian god. It comes from a Roman uh, cult, a Mithras, a Roman Mithric cult. And Mithras was born of a virgin. He was called the son of God. He was called the light of the world. He was born on December 25th. And this is more popularly recognized. Dan Brown, Da Vinci Code, kind of popularized the idea of the Mithric cult being the foundation that Christian mythology came out of. Um, the big problem with this is if you begin to line up dates, Christians were already celebrating on December 25th. Uh, it was widely held as a Christian feast day by the time you get to the fourth century. That's the 300s. That is over 100 years before we have any indication that the Mithric cults celebrated anything close to this uh, or a feast that they would call Sol Invictus, the Feast of the Unconquered Sun. Um, so the problem with that is that Christianity actually predates that uh, the Christian celebration of Christ's birth predates those Roman pagan mystic practices. So sorry, Dan, Dan Brown, it sells, uh, sells novels, but it's not great history. Uh, some people talk about this feast called Saturnalia. It's a feast that's said to happen on the 25th of December that Christians replaced with Christmas. It was a time when masters would serve their slaves. So it's this time of turning kind of social norms upside down which sounds like something Christianity does, masters and slaves being equal, neither Jew or Gentile, slave nor free in Christ. So it sounds similar, and maybe that's kind of where we pulled it from. Um, again, problem is history doesn't bear that out. Uh, Saturnalia is celebrated on the 17th of December. It would last for several days, but it didn't have anything to do with the 25th as a date. Uh, social norms were overturned for a brief period. Masters would serve their slaves. But it didn't last after the feast. Things went right back to the normal order of things. Christianity calls for lasting change, an entirely different ordering of uh, the human view of self, where we're called to serve others, to think of them as more important than ourselves. So that doesn't really line up. Um, sometimes the pushback comes because there are specific elements of Christmas that people feel are pagan. One of the most common is the idea of the Christmas tree, right? And bringing a tree into your home is a direct violation, they would say, of Jeremiah 10, verse 2 and 3. Uh, Thus says the Lord, learn not the way of the nations, nor be dismayed at the signs of the heavens, because the nations are dismayed at them. For the customs of the people are vanity. A tree from the forest is cut down and worked with an axe by the hands of a craftsman. And they'll talk about that. And that's, well, that's, that's exactly what a Christmas tree is. You cut down a tree from the forest and you bring it into your home. And that has, that, that's not something that we as Christians should do. But if you look at the larger context of Jeremiah 10, I'll just read kind of the verses around that. So Jeremiah chapter 10, verse two, learn not the way of the nations. Don't be dismayed at the signs in the heavens because the nations are dismayed at them for the customs of the peoples are vanity. A tree from the forest is cut down and worked with an ax by the hands of a craftsman. But then verse four goes on to say, they decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with hammer and nails so that it cannot move. Their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field and they cannot speak. They have to be carried for they cannot walk. Do not be afraid of them for they cannot do evil. Neither is it in them to do good. There is none like you, O Lord. You are great and your name is great in might. Who would not fear you, O king of the nations? For this is your due. For among all the wise ones of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. They're both stupid and foolish. The instruction of idols is but wood. 
beaten silver is brought from Tarshish and gold from Uphaz. They're the work of the craftsmen in the hands of the goldsmith. Their clothing is violet and purple. They're the work of skilled men. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting king. At his wrath, the earth quakes and the nations cannot endure his indignation. So that's the fuller context. And it has nothing to do with a specific tree cut down, brought into a home and decorated. It has everything to do with an idol skillfully crafted, given the appearance and said to have the qualities of a God. It's a prohibition against idolatry, specifically the, the wooden carved idols that were so prevalent, sadly, not only among all the nations, but even among Israel. So when you look at the context, it's not, it has nothing to do with a, a Christmas tree in particular. Now, you pull back and we can ask the question, and now here's a good question. Are there things that are a part of our cultural Christmas that are decidedly not Christian? And the answer is absolutely. Uh, greed is built into our celebration of Christmas. What are you getting and how much are you spending? Uh, has become a, a cornerstone of the celebration. It's profit for businesses. Uh, it's about satisfying our own wants and our own desires. And none of those things reflect humility or dependence on God that the Christian life is supposed to reflect. Um, so should we reject greed and consumerism? Absolutely. Not just at Christmas. Um, the idea of uh, parties where there's just rampant consumption of alcohol, uh, where there are all kinds of other vices and lack of self-control that kind of characterizes them. I mean, you get kind of the, the idea of the office holiday party that has elements that are things you don't talk about for the rest of the year. Um, clearly that is not honoring to God. Uh, Colossians and Ephesians talk about not being drunk with wine, but being filled with the spirit. Um, we talk about the fruit of the spirit in Galatians being self-control, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Self-control being one of the fruits of the spirit that we give up when we are controlled by alcohol. So there's absolutely the sense where you could throw a Christmas label on a party and use that as an excuse for all kinds of sin, but that deals with an expression and not the celebration of Christmas as a whole. Another thing we have to realize is that there's no command to celebrate Christmas. Uh, in the Old Testament, under the law, under the Old Covenant, God gave his people specific feast days that would call them back to remember certain things, uh, Passover and, and the feast of, of ingathering and the feast of booths. God gave his people these various times during the year where he said, you will celebrate this and you will remember it. This will call you back to what I've done when I've delivered you, when I've provided for you. It'll be a constant reminder from generation to generation of who I am and who you are in me. There is no command to celebrate Christmas. Um, in Romans chapter 14, uh, verses five and six, Paul's talking about observances relating to the law, specifically Jews who had kind of that as their background. And he's talking about those that would carry on with those types of celebrations, even after they came to Christ. And uh, his, his instruction to the church at Rome was, don't be divided over those things that there are some who hold certain days as more important than others. And some to who every day is very much alike. And he says, that's a matter of a conscience. It's a matter of a biblically informed conscience that's submitted to God, not a matter for you to judge one another. And so if we did have a brother or sister who 
did not feel compelled or didn't desire to celebrate Christmas, it is absolutely a matter of conscience and not something that we could demand or assume that they were less of a believer for one way or the other. But that does bring up uh, an interesting question. That's how did we get to December 25th? If it doesn't have pagan mythology at its roots, well, where did it come from? And that question is a little bit difficult to answer just because some of the history around it is a little bit murky. It's it's not, we don't have a, a clear record. This is the first date that it was celebrated, but we do know that it is ancient. Um, we have a pretty good idea of how it got to December 25th, and that's that uh, early attempts to fix the crucifixion date of Christ landed on March 25th. There, there was a broad kind of a, a movement that, that identified the date of the crucifixion of Jesus as Passover on March 25th. And the church loved balance. So uh, this, in a desire to find balance, the birth and the death of Jesus Christ would be balanced. And so if Jesus was conceived on March 25th, which would be the beginning, his death date would be nine months later, or I'm sorry, his, his birth date would be nine months later, which was December 25th. So you have this, this balance that they sought. And so that's one pretty consistent early estimation is that they started celebrating December 25th because it's nine months after March 25th. Um, and you have that all the way back to uh, some indications are as late uh, or as early as the late second century. So that's a long way away. Now, does that make that the legitimate date? Absolutely not. Just because you're searching for balance doesn't mean that it's that that's what God intended. Um, but it also doesn't have anything to do with ancient pagan roots. Uh, the reality is that we don't know the date that Jesus was born. The other reality is that it is entirely appropriate to remember the birth of Christ because we don't celebrate the birth of Christ in isolation. Uh, why do we celebrate? We celebrate because the manger forces us to look forward then toward the cross. Uh, you can't rightly think about the incarnation of Christ, the God man who took on flesh uh, without thinking of him humbling himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Uh, the celebration of Christmas and really the whole Advent season is a look back at God's faithfulness to all he promised. All those messianic promises made for uh, hundreds of years to the prophets that he proved faithful in when that baby was born on that night in Bethlehem. It's a reminder of God's consistent faithfulness to us now, that that same God who is faithful to his promises is faithful to his promises to us, that Emmanuel, God with us, was God with us in the flesh. But now as believers, you and I have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. We still have God, very God, with us. He never leaves his people alone. And it also looks forward to the anticipation of God's continued faithfulness, the idea that we wait for the second coming, the second incarnation of Christ when he once again enters into human history in a physical and bodily way and comes again, not in humility like he did in the manger, but in power and glory uh, with his angels to execute perfect justice and perfect judgment and to rule over his creation. Um, so Christmas is an entirely appropriate celebration because it really reminds us of the fullness of the ministry of Christ, his, his birth, his life, his death, his continued intercession for us at the right hand of the Father, and his someday return. Um, 
So I hope that gives you a little bit of an understanding and a little bit of an idea and maybe piques your interest on some of these things and maybe starts a discussion with the next time someone says, you know, Christian or uh, Christmas is really a pagan holiday. Uh, hopefully that opens the door to a gospel conversation that talks about history, but more importantly, talks about Christ, who is at the center of that history. Thank you very much for that insightful answer, Pastor Matt. Um, and thank you for listening to today's podcast. Tune in next time where we'll answer a question from an email regarding marriage between a believer and a non-believer. It's an interesting topic. We're going to talk about it next time. Uh, thank you for being here, Pastor Matt, and thank you for listening today, and we'll see you then.